Last week we were looking at the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, I said there's probably there's a lot more that we could say, uh, but I decided probably uh, for the sake of the overall class to keep going on and to focus more today on the decrees of God. If we have a little bit more time at the end, we might circle back to some things left over from the uh, doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, but let's look at uh, 7 and 8. And can I have somebody read uh, question and answer 7 and 8? Who are volunteer? Okay, Toby. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God of His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will whereby for His own glory He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. How doth God execute His decrees? God executed His decrees in the works of creation and providence. Okay. And as you look further in what's going to be happening in the next couple of um, questions and answers, it's going to break down then what is creation and what is providence. So we're starting kind of the big picture. What is God doing? What are His decrees? He's done all these things. What are they? Creation and providence. And then we're going to look specifically in the weeks to come about what is creation. What does that work? And then what is providence? So again, be looking forward to that. Just also something to say. Um, I should have said this last week. Dan Gill is going to be helping me teach. Dan's not here. He's at a family wedding right uh, this week. So he's actually going to be taking over next week for a couple of weeks, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks for him as well. So we're splitting the rest of the class basically 50-50. So next week you see somebody who doesn't look like me, it's okay. It's just Dan. I think. Probably. Um, right, so Dan will actually be touching on uh, the works of creation and then possibly also the works of providence. So let's, let's, again, we're looking at the big picture. What is God doing? And then we're going to be zeroing in on the details. So what are the decrees of God? As you look at the at question 7 and you look at the answer, there's actually four parts to the answer. There's kind of four pieces to it. And it's, it's basically defining what the decrees of God are. And there's four parts to that. Can anyone list, I'll give you one at a time. Somebody gets to pick the first one, second, third, and fourth. What are the four parts? Don't say them all at the same time, but one by one. The decrees of God are... What's the first part in this answer then? Eternal right, His eternal purpose. What's the second part? Uh, counsel of His will. Yeah, according to the counsel of His will. Third part? Uh, his own glory. Jim, you are three for three. And fourth... Yeah. Yep. So actually seeing those four parts is helpful because we need all four of those parts to be true for God to be God and His decrees to actually be good and perfect. So let's think about the four parts then. So it's His eternal purpose. Then it's the counsel of His will. And it's for His own glory. I'm just going to say foreordained. Okay. I want you to think with me then about why these four are good. See, when we think about the decrees of God and what He's doing, sometimes we can just jump to the fact that He's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And we'll look at that in detail in a little bit later. We look at kind of what He has done. He's planned everything out. 
But these other pieces are actually really important as well. Why is it important, for instance, that the decrees of God are His eternal purpose? Why is it helpful to remember that this plan is eternal? This has been God's plan forever and ever and ever. Why is that helpful? Unchanging. Yes. Unchanging. Practically speaking, how does that help me in my life? If God's plan is unchanging, how does that help me in my life? Even though I screw up, I'm not screwing up His plan. Yeah. It frees you, right? What are some other ways that can help you? So really personally, like if I mess up, I was still something. It's okay. It was part of God's eternal purpose. Yeah. Yeah, he screws up. That's part of God's plan too. Yeah. <laughs> God, I mean, we have, right. we better do. Yeah, we do. But it's part of the plan. It's part of the plan. Yeah. George Kleinbart, who's a friend of some of us in here, passed away. I remember sitting with him one time. He goes, "Jake, you do realize God ordained the fall?" Yeah. I'm like, well, it's like you know. Yeah. Okay. Foreordained whatsoever comes right. to pass. That is. Hard wrap your head around. Yeah. But yep. True. Yep. Jim, what are you going to say? Yeah, the way out. Salvation, right? Yeah, and that's the other thing I was reading this week. It's not plan B or C. Mm -hmm. It's always been plan A. Even the minuscule stuff in my life is plan A. It's always plan A. Big, big thing with Adam, save salvation, all that, even the minute stuff. In yeah, God never ever right. has a plan B. If God had a plan B, He wouldn't be God. Because something would have messed Him up. Yeah, think about also the eternal purpose. It's unchanging so we can be secure as we see the plan unfold. It also says that He has the whole plan in mind all in one. Like It's like the snapshot picture. right? He knows the beginning from the end. He's got the whole thing all in one because it's been His eternal purpose. He had planned it all out beforehand. There are so many times where I start a project I'm like halfway through, and I thought I had a pretty good idea of where I was going. And then, oh no, um, I actually don't know what the next step is, or it comes out a little bit different from what I intended. That's not what God does. That's part of being the eternal purpose. It's not just that it was before all time, but actually encompasses all time, all in one go. He knows what's going to happen because He planned it. What about the counsel of His will? Why is it helpful to know that all of the things that he does are the counsel of his will? Does it make sense what this means, the counsel of his will? It means that he isn't talking to anybody else. It's the Trinity discussing this, and this is the plan. Why is it helpful to know that? He's in total control. Yeah. And nothing can sway him. Mm hmm. And Satan is. Again, gives us uh, a sure foundation of security. Yes. Yep. So you pointing out both of these can based on the fact that we know who he is. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There could be counsel of his will. He could be a really bad guy, and he could have the counsel of his will, and that'd be horrible for us. But it's not true because we know who he is as the loving God. And also, like if, if there was somebody he counseled with. It'd be like, you know, okay, God said, I'm handling everything, but I want this angel, I want you to handle this one little aspect. Well, then we're not secure. Because no. There's something else that's good. And it, it just, when I hear counsel of his own will, it makes me think of Job when he tells you, like, where were you, a man, mm -hmm. when I did this, this, and this? Who, who did I counsel? You know? Yep. 
Remember, yeah, when Job, when God confronts Job, and it's also in Isaiah, um, I'm thinking of the song and not the actual verse, which is bad. It's Isaiah 40, but you know, who has given counsel to the Lord, who has uh, cupped the waters in his hand, yeah, and counted all the grains of sand, and all that. And it's just like, wow, actually, wait a second. Um, we need God to only ask himself. There is no creature who would ever, ever, ever be up to the task. That's, that's true. Think about this. Counsel of his will is important because there are, last week we talked about some of the heresies, right? Like Arianism, where the son is like a super creature, but he's still a creature. Well, we don't even want a super creature to be helping out in any way. That would also doom us. Even if he were perfect, he would just be a limited creature. We actually need an all-powerful, all-wise, all-sovereign God with this plan. Yeah, Pete. Uh, the word purpose there, too, I meant to go to that first mm -hmm. back. I think it uh, says to me that there he has a goal. Yes. I mean, we know we talk about his plan, his goal. I think a lot of people, they have this idea about God as he's just sort of working it out as he goes along. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Right. He'll figure it out when he gets there. <laughs> That's right. He, but, um, I mean, it reminds us we're made in His image. I mean, this is the way we're supposed to live, mm -hmm. as far as being purposeful. You know, we're you know having that mindset of, right. of our goals, our purpose, and of course He defines that for us mm -hmm. in His will. But uh, anyway, I just think not only the eternality of it, but that there is a purpose, a goal, a plan, and. Uh, yeah, remember in our sermon series in Colossians, looking at Christ as the end point of all creation. That's that's where the plan is going. Is that everything is going to be summed up in Christ, right? Remember, he's reconciling all things to himself. He's the one who everything was created through and for. Um, there is a purpose. We talked about this also in a previous Sunday school class. That that is not what a lot of people think. A lot of people don't see a great purpose to the world. Or if it is a purpose, it's a very personal purpose of like, I'm just going to live and have fun, or I'm going to accomplish something. But there's nothing beyond themselves. There's no big goal of creation. There's no big goal of reality. God says differently. And God already knows what it is. And He actually tells us, again, in Colossians or Revelation or places like He tells us what the goal is, that we would be summed up in Christ and be worshiping Him forever. That's where we're going. That's actually why He made us. That's the purpose of every single thing He made, even though sin has now marred that. So there's an eternal purpose of giving glory to Him. There's counsel of His will. And then, yeah, He does it for His own glory. Why is that also a helpful piece to remember as we look at God's plan? That He's doing everything for His own glory. Well, for one thing, it only makes sense. It's when we do things for our glory, it's a lot of times selfish and one thing or another. But because he is God, it, it it's only right that everything would bring him glory and only good. It's just it's just consistent with who he is. Mm -hmm. He's God. Yeah, if you did everything for your own glory, we'd call you selfish yeah. and prideful. That's not God though, because of who God is. He's not a creature. For a creature to do that, it's utterly wrong because he's not the creator. But God actually does everything for His own glory because of who He is. Yeah, Jim. So, uh, we have to remember His glory because He wants to bless us. Yeah. 
what other purpose would there be? Any other purpose would be lower than that. It wouldn't actually be the end goal. Like Kate said, if it wasn't for his word, it wouldn't be God. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just something to his soul remind us that he is God. Yeah. And it reminds us that we're not. Yeah. <laughs> In a big way. It's, like it's, it's the old saying, you know, when God boasts, it's not prideful because like what Bill Rogers always said, if it ain't boasting, you can do it. So... This is the first time I've heard Will Rogers. All right, here we go. Will Rogers or somebody else if you can do it, you can do it. So it's not prideful. Yeah, there's a certain sense to that, yeah. Pete, you were going to say? I was going to say that uh, that defines our purpose, too, as far as living for his own glory. Yeah. So uh, you have these people where they, you hear us among conservatives a lot of times, where they don't have God... And they talk about leaving a legacy or making your contribution to the culture and all that stuff. Those things ultimately are empty. Mm -hmm. That's why I think all these people are running around. They're you know worrying about animals and the environment and um, you know all this kind of stuff. Um, that uh, that they have to have something. They have to have some kind of cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they have to have a purpose. Whereas God has defined what our cause is to be. We yes. exist for His glory. Yeah. I was thinking about your earlier comment. What is, is it um, Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life? Yeah. I'm not recommending that at all. But the title I am recommending, Purpose Driven Life, because that's exactly what God calls us to, is a purposeful, God-directed life. But you know, have you read that book? No. The first part of that book, he defined... I'm not endorsing Rick Warren. He's gone off to kids yeah. here recently. But the, in the beginning of that book, he talks about people having, living, uh, fulfilling God's will for their lives. Mm -hmm. He actually deals with that. So he said a lot of good stuff, okay? So the, At least in the first part. Garbage, right. But, my, uh, but, we ought, but we are believing, we do believe, we ought to have a purpose-driven life. Yeah, we do. Right. If you don't, there's something wrong. Right. Yep. But it's, the, it's not the world's purpose. Right, it's God's purpose. Right. Yep. I said it before also, and I'll, I'll say it again. When we think about that, remember that each one of us has the same goal, but it looks the way we get there is going to look a little different. Because we're all individuals. So when God says He's making us like His Son, that's the end goal. We know what the blueprint is. How God gets you there uh, is going to be different. He uses the same kinds of tools on each one of us. But you know, some of us need a little more chiseling here, and some of us need a sledgehammer here, or whatever it is. Um, but that's similar, that we all have the same purpose of glorifying God, but God has made us different and unique. And so the way that we do that will be similar in some ways, like show up to church. We all need to do that. But God gave you different gifts than somebody else. So part of His eternal purpose is to make you unique to then serve His purpose. When he, like when he says foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, we think about the events of the world, and that's true. But have you ever thought about the fact that God foreordained every like part of your life, every gifting that He's given you, every experience, so that He's shaping you with that eternal purpose of being like His Son? Don't just think about the events of your life or the events of the world. That's true, but that's way too small a thing for what God has done in His purpose. Um, he made you for that specific purpose that fits into his grand plan of what he's doing. There, uh, in Romans 8.28, there's a, 
perfect counsel for us when we think everything is going off the skids. Mm -hmm. There's a book written by Thomas Watson called The Divine Cordial. Mm -hmm. It's only on Romans 8.28. And it's old Puritan, but it's a beautiful, beautiful word, book to counsel us about not only the good things, but all the bad things, even our sins, how he works all things to a good. Yep. There we go. Um, let's look at let's look about this fourth part then, because that's that's really the, the meat of the question is the fact that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Like I just said, it's not just the events of the world; it's every single tiny, minute piece of what is, what is happening is foreordained by God. So that means everything from like the movement of the atom in my left. What's this? Index finger. You know, from that tiny to the great events of world history, everything is covered by what God is doing. By what God has planned is actually being worked out now in the world. But it's also the way God makes us. So not just what happens, but who we are. Or who things are. What things are. That is actually part of what God has done in creation and providence. So absolutely everything in reality is part of God's plan. His unchangeable, perfect, eternal plan. But that obviously raises a lot of questions, right? So you can think about, when you say this, I think the ones that are going to come up are, okay, so what about sin? What about suffering? And what about salvation? I was pretty proud to have three S's. I thought this is this is, this is working out to be a pastor. I can do three S's now. Um, has God foreordained sin? And if so, what do we need to guard against? Has God foreordained our sin? Sure seems like it if He's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So would you say he's for a dangerous sin? I would say yes. You would say yes. Good. I think the Bible says yes too. Uh, God says that. Uh, but then we run into a problem, right? Because if God has planned it, does that also mean he's like made that happen? Like is he responsible for your sin? Let's say it that way, Jim. He allows Right, it's not the cause of it. Yeah, I remember like in the book of James, he doesn't tempt you. He does allow, though, you to sin. He allows Satan to exist and Satan to actually rebel against him. This is one of the, the amazing things. If you think about sin, like Satan or like someone outside of Christ, God is sovereignly allowing them to rebel. If he wanted to, if it was part of his plan, just snuff him right out. He doesn't want to do that, though. Yeah, Jim, and then I'm going to... Also, when he kindles the sinner, setting the laughter, how can it be of God to allow this to take place? Mm -hmm. They don't understand that it's our sin that he allows to take place. It's not God allowing it. Okay, he's allowing that, but he knows there's something that's prescribed. Yeah. He's prescribing, yeah. Susan, you're going to say something. Alright, Pete first and then Susan. God did not only allow Pharaoh to harden his heart, he ordained Pharaoh's right. hardened heart. Right. So, we don't want to take anything away 
we're not trying to subtract from God to make to try to help His image right. and make Him look better. Yeah. We, uh, he is who He is. People got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. but the fact is, He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Our sin is our problem, and it's our guilt, and we bear it. And we we sin, and we get angry, and and you know let it fly in our family and all that kind of trash. We are guilty. And mm -hmm. we can't comfort ourselves in the fact that He ordained it. We are guilty in our sin. Yeah. He does more than allow. You know? Yep. And that's that's important to see both in sin and salvation. We'll talk about suffering kind of separately, but sin and salvation, we have to realize that there is a human component there. Like, um, sin. God says obey. You choose to disobey. I know your, your nature is warped and He's allowed that you know, original sin and those things, but there is, you make a choice. The same is actually true in salvation. If God can truly say to you that you must believe, He has ordained it, He is controlling your heart to respond, but there's still your response. There, it... You know, people say, and again, especially in salvation, but it applies to sin. Like, what about man's free will? Oh, man's free will is definitely there, just not in the way that most people think. Right? But it's still operating completely fine. Okay? Uh, in, the, in the case of you know, sin and salvation, we are freely choosing, for instance, to reject God. Um, I think it was uh, it's I think it's Van Til who says it's kind of like you know you have a buzz saw on the table, it's working just fine. It's just pointing in the wrong direction. It's going to constantly cut the wrong way. That's similar to what we're seeing here in terms of man's man's free will. So sin, we want to say allow, we want to say even stronger that is foreordained, but we're also still responsible. God is never the author of sin. Yeah. In my life. Things have happened that make it difficult for me to process what I'm saying. For example, the war was bombing of the city of Dresden. Yep. Thousands and thousands of people go up the wall. Yep. It's real difficult for me to process. Yeah, because that's a combination of man's sin and man's suffering. It's a good example. Because we see those things and we, we ask, I think, a very logical question. How would God allow that? How would a good God allow that amount of suffering? Right? You, can, you can look at other instances in your own life where there's you know, a personal kind of suffering. Something hurts you. You, know, you lose a child or there's a family member who dies or you have Parkinson's or cancer or whatever. There's, sometimes we often look at personal suffering, but what about... Uh, tsunami, like the tsunami in Indonesia. What was it, 2004? Killed all those people? Or something caused by man, like firebombing of Dresden. It's one of the, I think it's one of the single most destructive events in human history is the firebombing, some of the firebombings there. Um, how can we say that God foreordained something that seems so evil? And actually, it's not just seemed so evil, it is evil. Killing people that way is evil. How can we say that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass like that? Would you say more? We don't need to understand that we're entitled to a world Christ life. But it has to because He's God. If He didn't ordain it, we would be less than God. Mm -hmm. he, didn't, he didn't listen to anybody. He didn't get permission from anybody to do that. 
just looking at the eternal perspective here that whatever we experience now is nothing compared to heaven or hell. And I mean that in terms of the blessing we receive now and the punishment or the discipline or even the suffering that anyone receives now. Even a non-Christian, their suffering now is blissful compared to hell. Um, even something that, some of these horrible things that we can think about is nothing compared to kind of his eternal purpose. Yeah, Valerie. Well, um, going back to the, the glory and, and connecting what we've been saying, I, I think Romans 9, 22, 23, I mm -hmm. that verse, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Yeah. Yep, I think that ties in very well. Suzanne, you're going to... I think the bottom line for me is that He is holy, He is righteous, He is just, and everything that He does is holy and righteous and just. Mm -hmm. We may not see it in with our physical eyes, but it's just like um, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, who are the poor in spirit? They're not uh, poor because they don't have any money. Mm -hmm. They're poor because they don't have any righteousness. And they see that. They see that they're wicked sinners. They see mm -hmm. they just deserve the wrath of God. And they see that the mercy of God is something that they don't deserve. And with humility and brokenheartedness, they turn from their wicked ways. They turn to serve the living God. And so when you think about that in the whole scheme of things, the wrath of God is justified, just like mm -hmm. the mercy of God is justified. I think that's really helpful. And I think the thing you brought out there is humility. That, that should be our attitude with a lot of these questions, whether it's looking at the wrath of God that we deserve, looking at the plan of God. This is a, this is a mystery, really, of what, what God is doing. Um, that doesn't mean He doesn't tell us anything. We just kind of put in some, some guide rails, right? 
He's not the author of sin, that there is a purpose. It's a loving purpose, but it's also a just purpose. We can look at those guide rails and we can walk safely in the middle. But whenever we kind of run into God and we bump into God and His plan, it leads us to humility because you realize just how much you don't know or how much you don't deserve. And then you see what God is doing. Even the little bit that He's told us is way beyond um, what we know. But I think just going back to Harold's point for a minute, it is really hard to understand. It's really hard to square these things, especially because we usually, um, our theology is often driven by our experience. And that's understandable, um, that the things we see often shape our view of God. And that's why going back to the Scripture, we said it last time with the Trinity, start with Scripture and then work your way down to our experience. And it's the same here, that we can't, just look at the world around us and build up to God. God tells us what's happening. God says who He is. God assures us, actually, of His plan and His love and His grace, and also His justice and His wrath as well. So we need to actually start with what God says and let that help us view the world. That doesn't mean it's easy. That's, you know, some people say, if we just get the theology right, it's great. Those people are horrible counselors. <laughs> I'll just say that. They're horrible counselors um, because they don't, it's not like when the rubber meets the road. That's when it gets hard. Um, we'll actually look at that in a few minutes about how to actually use some of these truths to help. All right, there are a couple of hands up. Pete, you want to say? Well, everybody, there's a sense in which I look at things sometimes. Everybody's going to die, okay? Mm -hmm. We're all going to die, and we die at different ages. And that's a fact. And... Um, now, we think about people dying prematurely, but really they're dying according to God's plan. Everyone has God revealed to them. They, they are obligated to worship Him. He's revealed Himself in creation. Romans 1. I'm, I'm just saying, I think that, I know we have all these questions and everything, but there are some ways of, of looking at that. We take, our, we take our ideas about what is a adequate lifespan or what is a right. good life and we or even what is a good death right right and we right. put that on on God the other thing too is though I mean we talk about wars and disasters and bombing and all this stuff my problem that from day to day is why is this marriage broken up mm -hmm. why hasn't God uh, delivered uh, this uh, uh, friend from addiction mm -hmm. why th those are things that's where I live with my prayer list, I'm not trying to understand Hiroshima. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it didn't. We shouldn't think about it. Mm -hmm. But where I live is, I can't figure it out. Okay. Yeah, you can't figure out the day-to-day -day personal right. suffering and difficulties and brokenness. Yeah, families, marriages, people. I can't figure all that out. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Toby. Well, I was thinking to turn the question around. Like we talk about humility and ask that part about God's wrath. We're 100% responsible. It's, it's not, you know, you know, we say, well, how could God allow this? Well, how can we sin against the Holy God? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's another way, of, another way of looking at it. Yeah, and that's humbling itself to ask that question. How could we sin against a holy, perfect God who loved us and gave us Eden? He gave us everything that we could possibly want. And that's not, it's not to like, you know, bash Adam. I think if we were in his place, we would have done the same thing. It's just, it's amazing to see 
um, just how bad sin really is, especially if you look at um, Adam and Eve's sin. Let's think about salvation for a minute. This is probably... Um, this is more sin and suffering is more like the counseling side of things. People have a lot of questions about that. Um, salvation is usually where Calvinists go, you know, election and, and God's sovereignty and things like that. And it's helpful to talk about. Um, how do we kind of square the fact that God has uh, foreordained whatsoever comes to pass? And I talked about this earlier. Foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, but He also commands you to believe. Like Acts 13, uh, Paul is preaching. And it's a it's a big long sermon, and he doesn't in some of his sermons he's very clear you know repent and believe he makes some of those same comments and then it says that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed so it's like a call to believe plus those who were appointed to eternal life believed how do we kind of square those two things where we're calling on people to believe and they actually do need to believe. You're not going to get to heaven if you don't actually believe in Jesus Christ. But then it's those who are appointed to eternal life actually believe. Pardon? They will believe. They will believe. Why will they believe? Because they're appointed. Yes. And who appointed them? God. Sovereign God. Yeah. So he's he's doing his will. He's actually working out his plan. Um, how, you know, some people will say, well, that makes us sound like robots, right? Because God has just planned it. And then I guess if I, if I believe, I believe. But then I don't really have any choice in the matter. How would you respond to that? Yeah, maybe we're not even... Maybe we'll go even down to the puppet level. We don't even have a computer chip. Um, no, but how would you respond to somebody like that? I mean, I've heard people tell me this. What would you say, well, Toby? I've been reading some of the Wayne Bettner books on uh, God for Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's saying that um, we can't reconcile those two things. That we have to believe that it's true. Right. It's um, because he's God and we're not. It's like Paul... Paul presented, you know, he, he throws an argument, and he will say that, well, why is God so fond of Paul? Mm -hmm. Because he's foreordained everything, Paul's answer was, he needed to back to God. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is hard to, it's hard to swallow. Uh, yeah. That's really hard to swallow. Uh, we don't want to do that. It, again, we have, to, we have to go with what God has told us. So, yeah, and you, you get you get different extremes. All right, I'll go to Suzanne first, and then I'll tell the extremes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I struggled with for 20 years. Uh huh. Is what is that all about? What is it to be appointed? Yep. But what is it all about? Free will. That's you know that's where I've come out of. You know, what is your free will going to do for you? Yep. Nothing. It does absolutely nothing for you. There's no growth. There's no maturity because you can care a certain amount one day and care less the next day. But when God elects, when He appoints, when He brings His Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins and the righteousness of Jesus and the fact that you have no righteousness in your sins of being your enemy, mm -hmm. that changes your whole life. Yeah. And you're pointing out the helpful thing that if, if you really go the free will route um, and you're so much emphasizing our role in salvation, you can emphasize it too much and then it's just absolutely crippling. 
because it's not only I came to faith, so it's all about me, but I stayed in the faith. And yesterday I felt great. Today I feel awful. Lots well, a lot of eyes in that sentence, isn't it? Because you've emphasized so much your role in your faith that it becomes pretty much all about you. That's why I drew this kind of like continuum because some some people end on the free will part of side of things, and it's it's about your choice, it's about you, it's about what you do. Again, there's something biblical there. We don't want to completely run run that out, but then. Um, you can fall away. You can choose differently. You can do all these things, and actually, you make God less than God again. That's why people used to go forward every Sunday. Because yes. Maybe I didn't get it done right the last Sunday. Yeah. So our assurance is not in our faith, because even small faith is saving faith. Right. Our assurance is in Christ. Yeah. So in Christ, we see Christ. But the deal about free will. If somebody said to me, well, "I guess if I'm going to ordain, believe all believe," I'll say, "Yeah, you're right. Get that right." Okay. So I mean, you know, yeah. I just agree with them. But yep. God's still going to deal with you as a person. Right. But the people, the free will thing is this: as long as God has not changed my heart, I'm like in a jail cell. I can only act in that jail cell like somebody who's in jail. And you're very good at acting that way. Right. Yeah. And I have free will. Yep. I can go over here and use the toilet. I can lie down and take a nap. I'm in my jail cell, right? Mm -hmm. But when God changes my heart, that's when I come out. And then my free will, uh, He gives me the gifts of faith and repentance. Right. And, and I exercise free will then, born from the Spirit's work in my heart. Mm -hmm. So, yep. yeah, everybody acts according to their free will. They're, they're lost in sin. And they, yeah. they can only act like sinners. Yep. Just another aspect, too, is when, like Pete said before, we're saved. We are free only to do evil. Mm -hmm. And once we're saved, we're free to do good. So it's like we're free to do some things as opposed to doing other things. We don't have free will in the sense that God has free will because we're created. Right. We're always creatures. We will always ever remain creatures. Yeah. So we're probably more used to people on the free will side of things. We think about maybe some of our Baptist brothers. Other people, though, also emphasize the sovereignty of God so much that it's like, you know, you just you just kind of wait around until God zaps you. And that sounds kind of bad, but that's what it amounts to until God really does that amazing, beautiful, wonderful work, and you don't have to do anything up to that point. Both of those are, are, are wrong, right? It's God's sovereignty and our free will. You've got to get the order right. But we actually need both of them. Just like, you know, we think about it in our salvation, it's true in our sanctification. God's the one who wills and works. But you better do something too. It's not just kind of let go and let God. That's never how God works. I've heard that before. I've heard preachers mm -hmm. on the pulpit tell people they need to figure out whether they're elect or not. Yep. That, no one preached. Hi, my name is... No, that's not... That's ridiculous. Yep. Uh, they're to repent and believe, and then they know that they are among His people. Exactly. Just uh, maybe I got one minute. I think I want to think about this practically. This is all true. Remember, I said those people who know it all and are horrible counselors. Um, how would you use these truths to help someone else? And I want to give you a couple of things to think about. Might um, pick it up later, but how would you use these truths to help someone who's a new Christian, who's really struggling with this whole idea? How would you counsel that person through their life? What kinds of things would you emphasize from this list, or from some of the things we've talked about? How would you help a young Christian kind of grow in their faith along these lines?
for, what, let, me, let me ask a different way. What do you think their worldview is right now? They've just been saved, you know, a little while ago. Where are they coming from? And how might that run into what God says? Yeah, Victoria. I would, I would say it's probably I-centered versus God-centered. Yeah. They're new Christians, you know, what's God going to do for me? Mm -hmm. and, and this type of thing, whereas simply as we're being sanctified, the emphasis becomes more on God. Right. And I think maybe this is too much for a young believer to really understand, but I guess in my life, the more I've understand God's holiness, then all these other things make a lot more sense mm -hmm. to me. We need to especially talk about who God is, not so much about I, I, I. Yeah, so maybe focus, kind of focus them back on God a little bit more. Um, also, I just run into a lot of people, you know, karma, chance fate, all sorts of things. People who are saved have not left that behind. Uh, you and I can still t talk that way too. So you need, to, you need to probably also emphasize that there is a purpose and it's not an impersonal purpose even. It's actually the purpose of a loving God. Yeah. And Bob's often reminded me too, like a good friend of people, we tend to want to uh, start to reason or argue or whatever, but he often says, tattoo means the word of God. Yeah. It's not our opinion. Right. What we're thinking is what the word says, and that's what's convicting. Yes. Yeah. Examples of scripture are great. Taking to the life of Joseph. Yep. Job. Taking to the life of Jesus. Use Romans eight twenty eight. Examples of people. I meant the suffering that went on there. The things that didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. These are things that God used in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. This world is just a little speck with what God's doing. Okay. Oh yeah. Yep. But you also don't want to, like, if, if it is a truly new Christian, yeah. your best counsel is, hey, come to church. Oh, yeah. And, and don't try to fix them. We all got heresies going on in our head. Yep, right? we're all heretics. You, you give them a hug and, you know, you, you, you be excited with them. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than a new Christian. Oh, yeah. That's like, that joy is wonderful. And they may say something so stupid that, you know, like, our boys when they were in kindergarten could have taken the catechism and proved it wrong. And, you know, maybe, maybe you have a time and a place to counsel them and say, hey, that's yeah. something. But, you know, be excited and tell them to go to church. And I mean, I've, I've said this before, meet them where they are. Right. And you just you walk alongside, and um, yeah, the, you don't don't go Bible bashing right. right off the bat. Like, no, that's wrong. Let me tell you why. No, that's that's not the way to do it. I remember where I was. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that would have been helpful if somebody came along and did that to you? No, no. All of us can look back, even if we've been Christians for a long time. We can look back, uh, sometimes not so far back, and see that we've got a whole lot of growing left to do too. Um, anyway, sorry, I've run over a couple of minutes. I wanted to ask more about how you counsel others, but uh, we might return to that in a little bit. Uh, let's let's uh, close in prayer. Lord, as we look at your, your sovereignty, your will, and the rest of your character, your love, your justice, um, this is so amazing. It's so far beyond what we can understand, but we want to take you at your word. That you've told us who you are, you've told us what you're up to, um, you didn't even have to do those things and you would have still called us to believe. And yet you have done that. You've given us so much. You've actually given us your own son 
Uh, Lord, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you brought us out of darkness into light. And Lord, we pray that we would trust you, that you would help each one of us to grow in our trust, to see your work in the world, and especially your work in our lives. We pray, Lord, for those sins that we struggle with. pray for the suffering in our life. And we pray for the salvation of others. These are all very difficult for us to kind of wrap our minds around and deal with. Uh, Lord, but we pray that you would give us renewed trust as we see your power and your goodness. And that we would know that you are a good God who is working on his perfect plan. And we pray you do this all uh, for Jesus' sake. We pray this in his name. Amen.